The Liberals Gun Corner, a proud progeny of the Gun Rights Radio Network, hosted by Cowboy T, San Francisco liberal with a gun. This podcast is always available at www.liberalsguncorner.com, and you can email us at cowboyt at liberalsguncorner.com. Cowboy T here. Welcome to episode 53. This is going to be a very, very political episode. Just letting you know. Your San Francisco liberal here has been pretty busy, folks. But I'll tell you one thing he's been doing. He's been keeping up with the politics of the presidential election. I actually got a chance to listen to that that debate recently between um, Republican Donald Trump and Democrat Hillary Clinton. Yep. Also read the news headlines from the likes of CNN, NBC, CBS, the Seattle Times, LA Times, New York Times, Washington Post, and so on. Then I read the headlines from the likes of Fox News, the New York Post, and the Washington Times. Stark difference in coverage, people. I've been around the entertainment and the media industry pretty much all my life, really, because of my dad. He was in it, you see. So I got to see certain aspects of it. And I got to tell you, it's really amazing what media bosses decide gets covered on their respective channels. And just as importantly, how it gets covered. That's amazing, too. Now, as a liberal, and I mean dyed-in-the-wool liberal, I am disgusted with the bias that I see in media coverage. Completely disgusted. And I have been for a lot of years. So, uh, you see, folks, a news reporter's, a news reporter's pardon me, job is not to go editorial. It's to report the news. Period. But that's not what's happening, unfortunately. And we all know it, so let's not go tiddlywinks here and act like we don't know it. Fox News, New York Post, Washington Times, publications like that, they're definitely pro-Republican Republican Party. Hmm. More specifically, Establishment Republican Party. I'm talking about backing folks like, you know, Mitch McConnell, Paul Ryan, John Boehner, the Bush family, the Cheneys, all of them. So, for the purposes of this podcast, I'll call those media outlets... The Republican Press. That's their name for this episode. The Republican Press. To them, Ronald Reagan is near to a god. And sensible Republicans like, I don't know, Gary Johnson or, or Ron Paul, they're, they're treated like lepers. And maybe that's why Gary Johnson went libertarian you know, back then, back in 2012. <laughs> and on the other side, CNN, NBC... Oh, and it's MSNBC and CNBC subgroups, ABC, CBS, and most of the large city and uh, online newspapers that I've ever seen are definitely pro-Democrat Party. More specifically, Establishment Democrat Party. I'm talking about backing folks like, well, the Clintons, Nancy Pelosi, Barbara Boxer, Dianne Feinstein, Patty Murray, Chuck Schumer and his niece Amy, all those folks. And their favorite of all, (laughs) yep, Hillary Clinton. They've had a love fest with her since 1993. And really sensible Democrats like 
former Montana Governor Brian Schweitzer, are treated like lepers. So we'll call these media outlets the Democrat press. That debate we just had a couple days ago, now I know they don't like Donald Trump. And, well, frankly, I don't particularly like uh, like him either. (laughs) But, folks, the coverage by the Democratic press was just shameful. It was bad. It was like they'd already written their articles and headlines before the debate ever happened. Uh, Get this. CNN's headline, the very next morning. Quote, Clinton pokes, Trump takes the bait. The byline underneath? Quote, Trump loses his cool, attacks Clinton on stamina. Close quote. Oh, please. Remember, I mentioned to you, I actually listened to that debate. Oh, my God. It's like the folks at CNN have now just entirely thrown out Anything that they learned in journalism school, and are, I mean, they're just openly campaigning for, for Mrs. Clinton at this point. It's like Howard Kurtz said recently, if you want to do that, then okay, go into the business of opinion writing and call yourself that, but then don't call yourself a journalist. I posted an article on the Facebook page, Liberals Gun Corner Facebook page, not too long ago about this very sort of thing. Now, Howard Kurtz is hardly the bestest buddy pal of the Republican Party. So when he called out other so-called journalists about this very point, I had to consider, hey, he just might be right. So I looked a little further, and sure enough, he was right. Folks, this is about as bad, at least in my eyes, you know, what CNN did with that byline, as, as when and what these other Democrat press folks are doing with these, uh, these so-called news articles. This is about as bad as as when Katie Couric lied on us gun owners or the little under-the-gun funny business. You know that film? Journalists need to be journalists. Cardinal rule of the profession. If the folks at CNN want to be Rush Limbaugh or Piers Morgan, then okay. But then they should just go ahead and rename themselves C-O-N, uh, the the cable opinion network, huh. or maybe given their ongoing love affair with Hillary Clinton, maybe they sh- really should indeed call themselves the Clinton Opinion Network. <laughs> hey, wait! Oh my God! I just thought I just realized what I just said. Wait a sec, folks! I I, I swear I seriously did not intend this. <laughs> Check out the letters. You know, cable opinion network, Clinton Opinion Network, C. O-N. <laughs> and we all know what C-O-N spells now, don't we? <laughs> now, I'm not saying that the Washington Times and Fox News don't do biased coverage. Duh, of course they do. They most certainly do. I think I've already made that clear earlier. But this, you know, what I'm what I'm currently seeing from the Democrat press this is really egregious. You know, Mrs. Clinton herself once said, and this applies here, quote, just this once, Donald Trump is right. Close quote. I don't like him. But this one time, he's right about the media coverage. They need to stop campaigning for their personally favored candidates 
and start reporting on the news like they do over on C-SPAN. You know, you've heard of C-SPAN, you know, the, the what is it, the, the cable... Um, the Cable Satellite Public Access Network. That's what it's called. Yeah. Uh, they cover the government. They cover the Senate. They cover the House. Uh, there's no spin there. Brian Lamb, the chairman and the founder, he doesn't tolerate that. Uh, he never has. You know people still don't know his personal political views? You know that? Yeah. Well, that's because he sees it as his job as a reporter and a journalist to not let that any of that, his own beliefs, color his coverage at all all he don't play that and oh by the way he demands the same thing of all other c-span staff too have your opinion sure it's going to happen but do not let it color your coverage and that's why i love c-span folks it's the last true news station left in the united states hey i just thought of something how about yeah, how about a campaign to make American news reporting great again? <laughs> now that would that I mean I'm it's a you know joke of course I'm kind of just kind of fooling around but seriously that actually would be a very good thing. We sure need it. And when we come back, we'll get to the main subject here: why I, as a liberal, cannot ever vote for Hillary Clinton. See you soon. back. You might find it a little surprising that a liberal, a San Francisco liberal no less, realized that he could never, ever vote for someone like Hillary Diane Rodham Clinton. Oh, so what are you going to do, Cowboy T? Vote for Trump? Ha, <laughs> doubtful, folks. I want to see America made great again, not America turn into the Jim Crow South again. And that's exactly why I absolutely cannot vote for Mrs. Clinton, as it turns out. Now, we already know she's not exactly a fan of the Second Amendment. This being the liberals' gun corner, we should talk about that. It's true. She's made her distaste for that particular part of our Constitution very clear. Then this is over decades. She's an anti. All the while, surrounded by armed bodyguards, oh, with machine guns, by the way, actual assault weapons, you know, for the rest of her life, she's got all that. She's always had an elitist, guns for me, but not for thee attitude. You know, just like Diane Feinstein. Same thing. Oh, and then there's her running mate. Yeah, Senator Jim Kane. Jim Kane. Oh, how we know him in Virginia. Oh, yes, we do. He got elected governor here in Virginia some years back. And then, since we've got a one-term gubernatorial limit, it's a term limit, and I think it's a very good one, personally. Well, since that is the case, he did just like Mark Warner and ran for senator. During one of his interviews a few years back, he mentioned that he carries. 
Yeah, Jimmy Boy carries a gun. Oh, Jimmy Kane. So, since he himself carries a gun, how did he handle pro-Second Amendment bills while he was governor of Virginia? I think that's a fair question. Here's the answer. He vetoed pretty much all of them. You know, in the name of safety and for the children. Yeah, that's right. He vetoed a bunch of good pro-Second Amendment, and I would argue pro-safety, bills while governor and pretty much completely went against the right to keep and bear arms. Except for him, of course, and his bodyguards. All the while, he himself is strutting around like he's alpha male, carrying his gun. Yeah, that's right. Well, if you're that afraid of us the people that you take a guns for me but not for thee position, well, that doesn't seem to make you much of an alpha male now, does it, Jimmy boy? I've never understood why so many of my fellow liberals keep voting for such hypocrites like that. Never understood that. But as bad as all that is, and it is bad, I've got even bigger reasons not to vote for Mrs. Clinton. Yeah, even than that. You see, I was in Nevada in 2008 during Super Tuesday. Yeah, Dad lived in Las Vegas, and I happened to be visiting him during the week of Super Tuesday. Just turned out that way. I flew out to see him. My dad was a Democrat through and through ever since the Civil Rights Act of 1964 and the Voting Rights Act of 65. Therefore, being a good Democrat and a citizen that that recognizes his civic duty, he went to go cast his vote in the Democratic primary. Obviously, I couldn't vote in Nevada's primary since I live in Virginia. And and, uh, Yes, by the way, I had done my absentee ballot beforehand, before you ask. But still, of course, I went with him, you know, just to hang out with Dad. He is my dad, you know. know, And also for moral support, I went for that, too. Uh, my dad and I were tight folks. You know, that guy was my idol. That man was my idol. He taught me how to be a man and he did a damn good job, a fine job of it. So we get to the polling place. Now I got to tell you, this is in a very affluent and I mean very affluent part of Las Vegas, specifically the Summerlin area. Those of you familiar with Las Vegas, you know what that is. Dad's house was right across Charleston Boulevard from Piccoli Ranch. He lived in the exclusive, and I, yeah, definitely exclusive, Queens Ridge gated neighborhood. Several very famous people who I will not name out of courtesy, you know, have homes there. My dad did well in his life, folks, and he was enjoying the spoils of a lifetime of very hard work. Damn right he had every right to be there. So, when we showed up at the polling place... We were surprised, well, correction, I was surprised, by the looks of hate and even vitriol by the white women there, simply for us showing up. Yeah, just showing up. It's all we did. I know, I know. The nerve of Dad actually going and voting. My father, how dare he do that? But folks, that's what their looks told us. these, These white feminists, these Hillary voters saw a black man and his son coming to vote, and they hated that. Of course, they assumed we were there to vote for that 
evil blackie, that darky Barack Obama, that Kenyan, you know, trying to steal the election from their anointed one, Hillary Clinton. You should have seen it, folks. Dad and I looked at each other for a moment. And right then, I was really glad that he was carrying his gun. Legally, of course. We talked about all this when we got back to his house, and he told me, Son, did you really expect otherwise? They want someone who looks like them, not someone who looks like me. That view, that wise view, turned out to be confirmed conclusively for me when I got back to Virginia. Yeah, a week later. At the time, I was working for a public school system. Who's the major demographic? Uh, demographic, I'm sorry. Employed by most American public school systems? White females. Uh-huh. And more specifically, white feminist females who vote Democrat. Therefore, I was privy to several conversations during that 2008 Democratic primary. I don't know. Maybe they thought I looked enough like them to think I was, I don't know, 100% white. Maybe they thought that. Or maybe they just didn't care. They didn't give a rat's posterior. But whatever the reason, the things I heard, the ugly things I heard these white feminist Hillary voters saying about Barack Obama, I almost couldn't believe my own ears. I won't repeat the things that they said about Mr. Obama. They were that ugly. And I've learned that some kids do listen to the liberals' gun corner, so they don't need to hear that. But I will tell you that several times I could have gone to human resources about it. It was that bad. And these are school teachers. School teachers, folks. School front office staff. School administrators. These are the people teaching our kids, saying this stuff. In the school, no less. Wow. And then they dare to refer to themselves as somehow progressive? <laughs> Folks, there's nothing progressive about that. That's regressive. That's Jim Crow language. That's that, that behavior I saw in Nevada. Same thing. Jim Crow behavior, too. So, since I could have gone to human resources about that, why didn't I when I heard that stuff at work? Guess who runs the HR department, folks? Uh-huh, fellow white feminists. I knew doggone good and well that if I'd done that, not only would nothing happen, but furthermore, I would then have become a target of retaliation. From people who claim to be social justice warriors, no less. How ironic is that? These are the Hillary voters. Same folks who believe like Geraldine Ferraro did when she herself went racial and complained that Obama only got that chance because he's black. And to them, that old saying my dad taught me about, if you're white, you're all right. If you're black, get back. Still true, including to these white feminists. And folks, that's really sad. See, this is why Mrs. Clinton thought she could get away with that hard-working American's white American statement that she made during the 2008 Democratic primary. Yeah, y'all remember that? I do. Hard-working Americans, white Americans, and how uh, the, the party needed someone who could do better with that demographic, she said. <laughs> well, she paid for that dearly among black voters. 
It was then, say, if you all remember, that, because I sure do, that Barack Obama got his famous string of wins during that campaign. Yeah, that's right. Both black men and women voted in droves, high percentages for Mr. Obama after that one. Totally turned for Mrs. Clinton. CNN, NBC, CBS, ABC, all the Democrat press TV stations were having, you know, the, these panels that they have, uh, uh, the discussion panels. They were, they, were, they were really pulling for Mrs. Clinton all this time, but, you know, they didn't dare openly disrespect Mr. Obama and expose their racial bias. No, no. Remember, they're progressive. Invariably, they'd have a white woman and a black woman on there, on this uh, discussion panel. And here's what would happen. The white woman would pose the question of why more black women were siding so strongly with Obama and not for the woman, i.e. Mrs. Clinton. Why were they voting race instead of gender? Well, the black woman would respond, white women want black women to support them in issues of gender, but those same white women won't support black women in issues of race, and black women see that. The white female panelist would inevitably have little to no response to that. Because, I mean, what response could you have? It's true. I wrote something about this during that primary. It applies today as well. It's up on, uh, it's up on my webpage. Oh, but Cowboy T, come on. That was then. This is 2016. Hillary's changed. You shouldn't view her as such now. She's changed. Yeah, so is David Duke. Folks, what Mrs. Clinton is saying now simply tells me that she actually has to actually try to get black people to vote for her this time. Yeah, she can't just depend on those uh, hard-working Americans, white Americans anymore. The utter and complete, I mean utter and complete spanking that she got at the hands of black voters last time she, she ran apparently taught her to put on a better act this time. Yeah, and that's all it looks like to me too, an act. What amazes me though, I mean, this really gets me, this surprises the heck out of me, is that so many black people, same black people who rightly sent her packing in 08 for racism, are now embracing that same person today in 2016. I don't get it. After what she and her supporters did, how could these black people be so gullible now? Have they forgotten so quickly? Are their memories that short? Folks, I don't doubt that people can, in fact, change. There are examples. Sure, of course there are. I'd say the canonical one is George Wallace. You know, the Alabama governor who stood in the doorway? Yeah, you know, this, the guy who said, Segregation now! Segregation tomorrow! Segregation forever! That guy. Well, he actually did change. Now, granted, it took a horrible act of terrorism against him for that to happen. Unfortunately, and I wouldn't wish that on anyone short of Osama bin Laden. But Governor Wallace did change. His change is well documented, not just by his words, by the way, but also by his deeds after that. He did change. There's another fellow, a Klansman, who also changed. Yeah, yeah, an actual Klansman. Yeah, his name is, I guess now I should say was, Johnny Lee Clary. Yeah, some of you may have heard of him. Yeah, he became a reverend. Now, I got to tell you, for those of you who aren't familiar with this fella, this guy wasn't just any Klansman. Oh, no, 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 no. This guy ended up being the Imperial Wizard. <laughs> That's way up there, folks. That's like the boss of the Klan, okay? 
This guy was up there in the KKK. Well, in 1990, he had some sort of epiphany, and he turned completely around. Yeah, he renounced the Klan completely for the rest of his life, the next 24 years. He went around the country preaching love instead of hate. He would use his previous experience in the, in the Klan as an example of what not to do, what not to be. Now, that's a heavy-duty turnaround, folks. That's a serious turnaround. I remember watching him on the talk show, TV shows, um, after he woke up and turned his life around back in the 90s. I always admired him so much for that. So, I don't discount the possibility of a miracle here, even with Mrs. Clinton. But I don't see evidence of it. Oh, I know, Mrs. Clinton's making all sorts of plays now to racial inequality. Yeah, I, I know she is talking about how she apparently thinks that black lives matter now. But I haven't seen her do anything to improve life real world for black people. Quite the opposite. If black lives really matter to her folks, then she wouldn't have dismissed them the way that she did. You know, just last year, you know, when they confronted her about the racial inequalities. This was in light of the police shootings of unarmed black men over the last couple of years. No, these activists didn't get violent. They didn't even imply violence. <laughs> Secret Service don't play that, folks. Think about it. <laughs> no, no, no. These activists simply expressed their concerns. How do I know? Because I saw the videotape. Yeah, there's a videotape. And I watched it. Yeah. She completely dismissed them and got condescending with them when they expressed their concerns. Even said something to the effect of, well, okay, fine, I'll just talk to white people then. <sighs> this was, by the way, some time before she had clinched the Democratic nomination. about a year or so ago. So it's pretty recent, folks. There's an old saying, Lebra doesn't change its spots. Who she was, apparently she still is. She remains bigoted uncaring of what happens to black men or women. Not really. You know, she just wants the votes, that's all. She doesn't actually care about black lives. They don't matter to her. And my own experience shows that this is true of her base as well. So, what should happen, what would happen should Mrs. Clinton actually win this election? Should she win? Who's she going to represent first and foremost? I think that's an important question to ask, folks. Well, first and foremost, herself and her big donors, like any other politician. But after that, she'll represent her base, her core supporters. Of course. Who's that? Those same white feminists who hated my dad, me, and apparently anyone else black. Yep, those Hillary voters who hate my dad and me. And that, folks, that is why I can never vote for Mrs. Clinton. Now, I'm not saying I'll vote for Mr. Trump. <laughs> but I cannot vote for Mrs. Clinton, given what I've seen. Not if I'm going to be a liberal anyway. Real liberals don't play that. I can already hear your next question. So, who are you going to vote for, Cowboy T? Gary Johnson? <laughs> He's a kook. He isn't even up on current events. Doesn't even know what Aleppo is. Hmm. I seem to recall an old story. I believe it was about Henry Ford when he was peppered with questions about this world leader or that world leader. You know, all sorts of high-level trivia type stuff. 
He couldn't answer a lot of these, these trivia questions. And he finally told his questioners something like this. I run a business. I don't have time to memorize all that minutiae. I pay people to know that for me so I can run my business. Ooh, drop the mic. <laughs> now, I don't know if Henry Ford himself ever actually said that, but I've had the good fortune to meet in, you know, a fair amount of top-level corporate bosses over the years, thanks to my dad. I can tell you this. That was exactly their attitude. Oh, yeah. If they needed to brush up on some visiting dignitary, then, yeah, they'd do that, and they had people who would find out about that dignitary and brief them and such. But otherwise... They were focused on actually running their businesses. It's true, folks. They really don't have time to memorize a bunch of that kind of minutiae. They're too busy. So how does that relate to Gary Johnson, though? Well, yes, he's running for president. But there's no way one person can know everything. Nobody who's ever been president or who's running for president knows everything. No human being on earth knows everything. In the case of presidential candidates, like corporate bosses, they hire people to keep them briefed on the, you know, the subject of the next hour or whatever. That's how I see Gary Johnson. It's also how I see Dr. Jill Stein, the Green Party candidate, by the way. Hmm, come to think of it, well, that applies in space to Donald Trump, given the size of his business. So, I don't fault Gary Johnson for those little things. I don't sweat the small minutiae like that. I care a lot more about the big things, like economic policy, or racial equality under the law, or actually improving our K-12 educational system so our kids come out, like, swinging against other international competition. Tell you what, I most certainly do like Mr. Johnson's political views and platform. Oh yeah, I think he'd make a fine president. I'm quite certain he'd make a fine president. He made a terrific governor. So perhaps I'll vote for him. Dr. Jill Stein would also make a good president. Perhaps I'll vote for her, because she makes a lot of sense, too. Check out her platform. I doubt very seriously I could ever vote for Mr. Trump. And I know without even a shadow of a doubt that I cannot ever vote for that black man-hating bigot, Mrs. Clinton. You, uh... Y'all might want to consider that, especially you, my fellow liberals. Instead of voting for the devil that you know, how about voting instead for someone who has a good chance of being not a devil, maybe even an angel? I'm tired of voting for devils, folks. I'm going to go for the angel. We'll be back. Okay, let's talk briefly about something that happened a couple months ago. Something tragic. And yes, it involves guns. I predicted this kind of thing might happen about a year and a half ago, back in episode number 40. 
I really hoped that I was wrong. Unfortunately, that prediction did turn out to be right. And five white police officers in Dallas, Texas were killed by a terrorist. And that's what he was, a terrorist. This terrorist apparently got tired of black men being repeatedly shot by police officers and getting away with it scot-free. I'm, I'm talking about the, you know, the likes of John Crawford III, Alton Sterling, and Philando Castile. This terrorist, whom I will not glorify by naming him, was a black man. And just after that, another assailant shot and killed three other police officers in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. And one of those officers, ironically, was a black man. This officer, named Montrell Jackson, just recently posted the following words on his Facebook account. Quote, I swear to God, I love this city, but I wonder if this city loves me. In uniform, I get nasty, hateful looks. And out of uniform, some consider me a threat. These are trying times. Please don't let hate infect your heart. Close quote. Folks, that's tragic on at least two levels. It's worth reading that one again. I swear to God I love this city, but I wonder if this city loves me. In uniform, I get nasty, hateful looks, and out of uniform, some consider me a threat. These are trying times. Please don't let hate infect your heart. Notice how he points out the nasty attitudes toward him in uniform. But also how people consider him a threat when he's not in uniform. This is a police officer. How can anyone consider him a threat? <laughs> Isn't that obvious? You look at a picture of uh, Montrell Jackson, you'll understand. He's a black man. A large, physically strong black man. Now, some of my white conservative brothers and sisters would see him out of uniform and think, He's a thug! Where are the cops? Guess who else would see him the same way? White feminists. Yep. How do I know? Because it happened to me. Yeah, folks, during the summer, you know, when I was in college, you know, uh, this is when I would get a, you know, I'd get a tan. I tend to tan pretty well. Even I, have, I had white females you know, cross the street on me and clutch their purses and such. So what was I dressed in? Was I dressed in you know, L.A. Kings gear, you know, Bloods and Crips type of gear? No, of course not. You know, I was dressed in a golf shirt, blue jeans, you know, and, and, and Birkenstock knockoffs at the time. You know, or maybe a T-shirt. You know, like most other college students. Yeah. So don't tell me that it doesn't happen, folks, because I know better. And no, they didn't clutch their purses or cross the street when a white guy would walk by. I watched them. So I sympathize with the now late Officer Montrell Jackson. He's right. Unfortunately... This kind of terrible act that took his life and seven other officers was bound to happen sooner or later. Folks, there's a reason the Black Panthers of the 1960s formed. 
And like my dad told me, they had no choice. Now, not excusing what these folks who shot these cops did. Uh Uh-uh. Don't even try to go there with me, because I know too many cops personally. But it does demand that we understand why it happened, so that we can prevent it from happening again. You do want to prevent this from happening again, don't you? I do. You damn well better, too. If you're anything approaching civilized, then you better. Oh, you think this will be the last time we see a sniper shooting at cops in retaliation? <laughs> you really think that? You think this is all over? Well, if you think that, then i got a bridge to sell you in Brooklyn. If we don't do something to change this epidemic of mistreatment of people at the hands of the law, we're likely to see this kind of terrible act yet again. And we can't afford that. You want to know what I'm talking about? Listen to episode 40 if you want to know what I'm talking about. Seriously, it's worth your time. In the meantime, I'm going to do something that I rarely do. Agree with a man named Steve Harvey. Yeah, I've seen several episodes of his show, which is why I don't typically watch it. (laughs) He's definitely bashing on men, and I don't support that in any way, shape, or form. I know why he does it. It's because his chief audience is female, and he's pandering to them to make advertising dollars. And for that, well, I do consider him a bit of a media whore, gigolo, pick the word you want. But, but, as I've said, even about Eric Fast and Furious Holder, when the man's right, he's right, and I must acknowledge it. Here, what you're about to listen to, Mr. Harvey gives a great explanation of what's really going on here and how to put a stop to this racial division that ultimately resulted in eight murdered police officers a couple months ago. Here's a clip. Um, where's Andrea? Andrea. Hi, good. Hi, how are you? Good, good. What's your comment? Um, well, I understand your desire um, for respect, um, but what's hard for me to understand about the movement Black Lives Matter is individuals from the black community uh, burning down um, some of their own neighborhoods. To me, this doesn't show pride or that black lives matter. Um, I just don't understand, you know, what's being accomplished from handling things in that manner. Mm -hmm. Let me help you from my perspective, from what I know about it. Okay. Having lived through the 68 riots as a boy, when you take a group of people who have been oppressed and feel powerless, and there's no other recourse. They can't vote that hatred out. They can't suggest it out. They can't march it out. Anger takes over. Mm -hmm. They go to the streets with it. They go in anger. And it doesn't accomplish anything. Mm -hmm. But they want your attention. But I think the media is to blame for that, too, because they make the focus that. And all of a sudden, we forget that uh, an innocent child was murdered. Exactly, exactly. And the focus becomes, look at them burning and looting. Whoa, 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 whoa. How about the loss of this boy's life? If you could be just as ticked, you know. But I understand exactly what you're saying. I really, really do. Look, I am the first one to tell you that all lives matter. I don't want this to happen to anybody's child. I'm a father. I'm a father. I have to tell my sons how to behave when they're stopped by the police, what to say when they ask for registration. I don't even let, 
my sons tape their registration to the top of their dashboard so they don't have to go in the glove box. Oh, man, it's crazy what I'm doing with my sons now. I, I, took, I went in my son's closet and took all their hoodies out because I just got tired of asking them not to wear no hoodie, man, because I don't want to tell their mama that your baby ain't coming home because he had a hoodie on. So I took all the hoodies out their closet. If this were happening to everyone, if someone else's child went to the store and didn't come back for buying a pack of Skittles, if somebody else's child didn't come home because their music was too loud, if somebody else's child would not come home because they had a cracked tail light on a car, if anybody else's child would not come home because they got stopped by a traffic violation, went to jail and wound up hung, if it happened to anybody else, there would be no need for Black Lives Matters. What has to happen here is we need more non-African Americans to just imagine if this were happening to you. That's all, that's all they need. Just imagine somebody told you that your baby or your neighbor wasn't coming home for any one of those reasons I listed. That's what the Black Lives Matter campaign is about. That's all. Like I said, it's a pretty rare day that I actually agree with someone like Steve Harvey. (laughs) But that time, he nailed it. It really is important to put yourself in someone else's shoes. Yeah. And that goes especially for my progressive-minded white brothers and sisters who talk such a good progressive game, but then turn their backs by dismissing claims of racial bias. White feminists, you especially need to watch yourselves. Don't expect black women to support you if you're not willing to likewise support them. I know someone up in Seattle. She's a a professional and a rather attractive, I must also say, young black woman in her mid-30s. She told me about about this, you know, what's happened with her. Her white girlfriends will go on about the, you know, on and on and on about the gender glass ceiling for hours, and they'll, they'll expect her to support them in this. But when she mentions the racial glass ceiling that she experiences, or the racially biased extra scrutiny that she gets in, you know, stores or wherever else she happens to be, do they listen to her? Do they support her? Oh, no. They just dismiss her concerns. They'll go, why are you playing the race card all the time? Maybe you shouldn't be so overly sensitive. I doubt it was racial. Just relax and be normal. (sighs) Whoops. Remember I mentioned earlier why I cannot in good conscience vote for Mrs. Clinton? (sighs) That, my friends, is all part of it. That's the kind of thing Steve Harvey was talking about. You white feminists, too. You need to put yourself in a black woman's shoes for a moment. You don't think so? Okay, imagine me ordering you to get me a cup of coffee. Why don't you? Yeah, go on. Give me one. Give me a cup of coffee. Oh, what? You don't like that? Hey, come on. Why are you playing the gender card all the time? Don't be so overly sensitive. Not so fun anymore, is it? Not so innocent anymore, is it? Well, that's what you need to do, all of you. Put yourself in the other person's shoes. 
Imagine what it feels like to have to endure the consequences of not being white here in the United States. And definitely imagine yourself having to endure the consequences of being black, like my dad had to do his whole life. Like that young woman up in Seattle will have to do for her whole life, the rest of her life. Then, once you got that picture in your head, actually act on that picture. Go ahead and act on it. Then you'll be doing something to help diffuse the racial tensions that we have here in this country. The racial tensions that got Philando Castile killed by someone sworn to protect and to serve. Imagine that being you on the business end of that gun instead of him. Now, act on that thought. You see, folks, the whole point of the Black Lives Matter movement is that when, finally, black lives, like my father's, start really mattering, then all lives will matter. And that's the point that they're really making. And that's the point that you all should take away from this, this section of the, of the show. Well, this has been a deadly serious episode, as many of mine are. And that's because we discussed some deadly serious topics. We most certainly did this time. This is Cowboy T signing off until that next time. Till then, safe shooting. Vote if you're eligible. Do your homework on the candidates for elected offices, not just the presidency, all of them. And thanks for listening.